It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 183, The Fall of Samaria. Omri would have been proud to see his fortress city of Samaria hold out against the Assyrians. Stoutly, the proud city held up for three full years, even without its king. But in the end, no matter the bravery, the city fell. Shalmaneser V took Samaria and absorbed the kingdom of Israel into his empire. 2 Kings 17.6 In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halah and Gozan on the Habor River and in the towns of the Medes. That's the biblical fall of the city. It's nasty business. But 2 Kings 17 gives a very lengthy and surprising explanation as to the reasons of God's abandonment of Israel. And it goes a long way back and a long way to explain what happened and why. 2 Kings 17.7 All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against their Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense, as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees, in accordance with the entire law that I have commanded your ancestors to obey, and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. They were stiff-necked as their ancestors, who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant that he had made with their ancestors and the statues they had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts. They worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. And when he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence, as he had warned through all of his servants the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there.
So that's why good things happened to AKA good people of Israel. But in the end, they weren't good. They may have looked good on the outside, but they were evil on the inside. They didn't worship God. They worshiped other things and committed horrid sin. And they didn't repent. And in the end, God's face was turned from them. And they were not protected as a warlike people came in to destroy them. Now we've got an interesting event coming up in a birth of a people called the Samaritans. 2 Kings 17.24 The king of Assyria brought the people from Babylon, Cuthath, Ava, Hamath, and Serevayim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. And when they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. So God sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, The people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off, because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order, Have one of the priests who took captive from Samaria go back there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines of the people of Samaria had made as their high place. The people from Babylon made Sukkoth, Benoth, those from Kuthah made Nergal, and those from Hamoth made Ashima. The Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and Shurvavites burned their children in the fire sacrifices to Amaralek and Ananimelech, the gods of Sevabam. They worshipped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshipped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations which they had been brought from. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands the Lord had gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, Do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them, or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one who you must worship. To him you shall bow down, and to him offer sacrifices. You must also be careful to keep the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I made with you, and do not worship other gods." Rather, worship the Lord your God. It is He who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they served their idols. Interesting now, we've got the context of the Samaritans in the New Testament, also known as the foreign peoples in the location of Samaria, which mingled the worship of God with other gods a people despised by the people of Judah as foreigners in the land, but they end up later becoming um, a backdrop or a people that are mentioned many times by Jesus himself. And even uh, there in the parables, uh, the Samaritans are actually in a specific scene. Uh, Jesus goes through Samaria um, at least once, maybe more than that. So we've got the context of the Samaritans now. But northern Israel as a nation, it's dead. And its people have been deported to the east. 
and Judah remains alone in either an Assyrian or Egyptian sea. To conclude this episode, a message to kings, let's give a summary of these kings of northern Israel. Their family lines, the best, the worst, the appointed, the anointed, and the rejected, who made it to heaven, who repented, who ran the race. So if you found a chart of the kings of northern Israel, there's probably some note indicating if they've served God or the devil. In the end, none of the kings of northern Israel are probably in heaven. None of them lived a submitted life to God. Some of them did pray and repent and received answers and blessings. Some were even anointed, others appointed, living with the promise of protection of God. So there's a difference in these kings. I've created a classification for them, and it's something we can relate to. So first of all, we have the, line, the three lines of kings, the line of Jeroboam, the line of Omri, and the line of Jehu, and then you got everything in between. So you have three specific lines and then everything in between. Within these lines of kings, we have three types, the anointed, the appointed, and the rejected. Let's start with the anointed. These kings had a leg up and God's blessing on them. An example of this type is Jeroboam and Jehu. They were literally called out and anointed by God for a purpose. Jeroboam was anointed by Hijah to break off Solomon's kingdom. Jehu was anointed by one of Elisha's prophets to judge Ahab and Jezebel. Those with the anointing have God's blessing and favor and attract heaven to them. The anointed have a promise of protection from outside threats, but also of greater accountability and heaven's invites for breakthrough. The next set of kings are the appointed kings. Jeroboam was promised a kingdom by God himself. Jehu the same, and they had successors that succeeded after them that ruled with some worldly success. The anointed ones have something special from heaven on their lives, while those below or after them are blessed with their success and blessings. But they don't attract heaven's attraction to them as you would expect. They live according to a promise, but not an anointing. So the kings literally handpicked by God are the anointed ones. Their descendants, not necessarily handpicked by God, but via bloodline, are appointed by God. Jeroboam and Jehu had succession to the fourth generation because of the anointing and favor and a promise on their life. Those that came after them were appointed. Omri was a world ruler, and Ahab after him was considered the worst, yet he actually repented to God at one point. His repentance bought or appointed his family line some time, though his sin and idol worship accelerated judgment at the same time. In between the appointed kings and anointed kings are the rejected ones. All the other kings, especially those with no reference to a blessing from heaven or, or an anointing or even an heir to a promise, fall in the next category. These guys are just flat out rejected. The rest of the kings, these are the ones that had little history to them, who found assassination common in their midst and where enemies dominated. See, the anointed ones had a special favor on them. The anointing is an acceleration of judgment or blessing. If an anointed king prays, heaven comes with answers. If an anointed king sins horribly, accelerates judgment as well due to the weight of responsibility of the anointing. 
As for the rejected kinks, it's just a world violent, winner-take-all, where heaven is absent, yet appearing infrequently through the prophet to echo age-old prophecies. When Ahab, as wicked as he was, repented at Naboth's vineyard, God listened. God has an inclining ear to kings on their knees. They have a great influence for darkness or good. So there is the anointed kings, the appointed kings, and the rejected kings. So more on the rejected. The rejected rule by their own power and initiative. They last as long as their ambition, talents, and gifts and circumstances allow them. It's more than obvious the king who assassinates to gain power is later 80% likely to be assassinated himself. What goes around comes around outside of the kingdom. This is where we ask you, what do you carry? Are you anointed, appointed, or rejected? Instead of answering it on this program here, um, with the New Testament answer, I'll let you search this out on your own. Are you anointed, appointed, or rejected? You decide. It impacts your theology, your thinking, how you live your life, and your heavenly fruit and eternal destiny. It's pretty important. You decide. Are you anointed, appointed, or rejected? So in my opinion, which of these kings made it to heaven? I have to say none of them. I mean, I don't know for sure, but just by studying, it's hard to say anyone that actually made it. None of the kings in northern Israel were in submission to God. Ahab and Jehu's successor called upon God, but that was it. They were blessed when they cried out for help, but they weren't in submission to God. It was like they're worshiping their idols, and God rebuked them. They repented, and then they went back and worshiped their idols. They didn't make God their number one, or only one, nor did they lead their people in great revivals. All of the God's successes of northern Israel were short-lived due to the anointing and promises of God, or a brief time of repentance, or just mercy and grace, like in the time of Jeroboam II. The real God successes in the story of northern Israel were really just God wooing his people, wooing the kings. And if a king is a reflection of the people, their hearts were never truly committed to God. So accordingly to the records, none of them cried out to heaven for salvation in their day. Unless there is an unrecorded prayer of some king that cried out to God at the end of his life. So here in a kingdom whose prophets have elevated places in heaven, but there is empty seats in heaven where their kings should be because they played the game of the flesh. Righteousness did not fit their character, and worship of the golden idol was their beginning and their end and their doom. All right, let's do some historical fun and ask a question. Who is the greatest king in northern Israel? By our spiritual understanding, we can say the two or so who called upon God, but let's give it a go just from a favorite or interesting perspective. Generally speaking, there was three true lines of kings with an anarchy and lack of longevity in between. The line of Jeroboam was the line of blessing which ruled Solomon's northern empire. The line of Omri, which ruled through the fire prophet days and Baal confrontations. The line of Jehu, the line anointed 
to judge the house of Omri was impoverished and poor until the height of Jeroboam II. So three lines of kings whose kings varied greatly. From the prosperity side, Jeroboam I and II were at the height. My favorite time period, just from a historical perspective, was the line of Omri, just from an awesome plot perspective with raging armies, spiritual confrontations with Elijah and even Elisha and the fire prophets, and then the miracles invaded by Aram and the death of those Baal prophets. That was crazy. A lot going on in a real-life applications from the macro-national perspective to the individual case of the starving woman in Sidon and her miracle and resurrection of her son. This makes Ahab's kingship the most interesting, but he's labeled as one point as the spiritually worst, according to his worship. As for the best king, we have one whose name was Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, who sought God and found his favor and deliverance in a time of need. Is he saved? Probably not. But he teaches us something. And it's, it's sad in one perspective that this is as good as you get. This one scene, though, teaches us so much. Let's wrap up our story in northern Israel with the most righteous act that I can find by a king in northern Israel. It's just one line in the Bible for hundreds of years of ruling of kings in northern Israel. Here it is, 2 Kings 13.4. Then Jehoahaz sought the Lord's favor. The Lord listened to him, for he saw how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. The Lord provided a deliverer for Israel, and they escaped from the power of Aram. So the Israelites lived on their own homes as they had done before. That's it. The most righteous deed by all the kings of northern Israel. Ahab repented before Elijah, and Jehoaz's son sought the counsel of Elisha. But this is honestly the most righteous act of all the kings of northern Israel I can find. It's sad this is it, but this is it. And something so simple can mean so much. We spoke before on how the simplest and mightiest prayer can just be, Lord, save me. Here we are, an impoverished king is desperate and his nation is oppressed. It says he sought the Lord's favor and that was it. All he did was cry out to God for deliverance. Sometimes the Lord is looking for something as simple as us seeking him in his favor and his help. Lord, save me assumes we need God and request his help and provides an invitation for him to move on our behalf. It's a true act of humility. It set himself and his successors up for blessings. The result of his prayer was deliverance. Need deliverance? Cry out to God and he will deliver you. Don't be hard-hearted like these kings. Call upon heaven to save you. It was counted as righteous what he did. It was probably temporary in his heart, but he cried out and watched God answer his prayer. This is where I'm going to pray for all the listeners that you have the wisdom in your heart to cry out if you are in a time of need. And further, you have the wisdom to see God act on your behalf. And know this is just part of the bigger journey for you. It doesn't just stop at deliverance from trouble. It's part of a journey of relationship with God. Will Jehoahaz be in the back of the assembly in heaven? Maybe, but probably not because he didn't credit his deliverance to God. 
This is something we need to do. We must cry out and recognize it was God and submit to him. He reveals himself, and from this revelation, he changes us. Faith gets us into heaven. Our obedience to what he's calling us to do is the heavenly fruit that we see in heaven. Jehoaz was desperate, and he cried out. But he still didn't believe in the end, most likely. We must do both. Lord, bless the listeners out there who listen to this podcast. I pray you put in us a heart's cry, a knowing that you are all powerful and that only you can truly save us. God, save us from harm and trouble. God, deliver us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear when you answer our prayer so that we can walk in greater faith with you. Give us greater faith to know you, to walk with you, to have a relationship and faith in you. Let us learn from these wicked kings what not to do. Give us a heart's cry and let us recognize when you are calling and answering our prayers and let us learn, even from the wicked, how to have your character and to be a light in this dark world. Give us wisdom to be better kings and queens in this world. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page if you want to chat. Email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.